Fantastic. Starting at verse 1 of John chapter 13. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to to betray Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you will have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. And that was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If then, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example, that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than those who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. But the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Well, good morning and welcome to City Light. Uh, my name's Gav. I'm one of the pastors here. Good to have you here. A uh, big welcome if you're new and newish or visiting us. Love that you were here. Hope you enjoy it. And more than enjoying it, that you see and, and meet Jesus, because that's what we're on about here as a church. Uh, I'm going to pray and ask for help for me and for you guys as you listen. Let's, let's talk to God. Uh, Father, we want to thank you that uh, you have brought each of us here this morning. Um, and it's no accident that we are here in this building Father, you know each of us and what we need to hear today. And so, Father, I want to pray for those of us who need to be comforted. You would comfort us by your word, reminding us of who we are, your love and your grace. For those of us who need to be challenged, we want to pray that would happen as well. We pray that we would see you, Jesus, and uh, be people who truly follow you and follow your example and follow you with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. Lord, use me as your servant that you would use, that I would only say the words you want me to say. And Lord, just want to pray that we'd leave here today understanding uh, who you are and how to follow you as true followers of you. Amen. Now, growing up uh, as, uh, as a child, we always, you always think about what you want to be when you grow up. What do I want to be when I grow up? Uh, I often ask my kids that question, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I hear things like a vet or a builder. I've been heard a policeman recently. Then I say, pastor? And they go, nah. No, they're not for that one so much. Silence as I say that to them. Uh, but we all have dreams of what we want to be growing up. Now, I remember growing up, I used to love going to the zoo. Love going to the zoo. 
And one of my favorite parts of the, the zoo was the seal show. I really loved it. I loved the seal show. I loved sitting in the sun, watching these big animals do these amazing tricks. And I, when I used to go and watch these seal shows, I saw the trainers there, and they were blowing their whistles and making these animals do these tricks, and then they'd throw fish and they'd swim in the water, having a great time. So I thought to myself, that's what I want to be. I want to be a seal trainer when I grow up. That would be an amazing job. Each day you get to play with animals, teach them to do tricks on the hot days, get in the water, um, wouldn't be too hard, and you get paid for it. What a job. That was my aspiration in life, to be your seal trainer. Now, as you can see, that never eventuated. I'm a pastor, sadly. No, it's great. Um, uh, and I think what threw me off was I think I actually looked at it, and uh, you've got to go and study marine biology for four years. Uh, I just want to go and hang out with some seals and do some fun things, not study for four years. So that, that put, put me off that. Uh, but I didn't pursue that. And I think about the motivation behind wanting to be a, a seal trainer and uh, growing up. And the desire was to have, really, was to have a job that was fun and easy and not too stressful. And have a life, really, that was, that was fun and easy and not too stressful. And when I was a child, that was my, my life goal. My life goals were a fun, easy no stress life. Then we all grow up, as we do, and we often choose jobs that aren't just about having fun anymore or swimming with seals, but we, have, we choose jobs and vocations uh, that are meaningful, that often pay well, and we want to provide security uh, and, and, and jobs that interest us. But when we think about it, and we're honest with ourselves, I think we still, our, our desires and our goals for life that we had as children really aren't, aren't that different. We still want to have lives that are, that, are, that are easy and not too stressful and not too hard. We may, may have changed what sort of vocation we want to pursue in life, uh, but the outcomes of what we want in life are probably still the same. We really want the, the, the idea of having a blessed life. We want the blessed life. And when we don't get the blessed life or life gets hard and we don't, we don't experience that, we often get upset and think, what's going on? This is what I want. I want the blessed life, but I, but I can't have it. And I, I think that there's, there's not really a problem with wanting to have the blessed life, to pursue that. I think the problem is, is where we actually find it. How do we have this blessed life, this life that is enjoyable, is meaningful, is purposeful? Where do we find it? And what I mean by blessed life, I mean a, a joyful, happy, meaningful life. Where do we get it? And we all pursue it in different ways. We all chase it by either looking for it in, in getting uh, more, more houses or a bigger house or a better house or, or a better job or, or more relationships or more things or, or clothes or cars or phones, whatever it is. We're on this pursuit of, of this blessed life that we're pursuing, that we want. And I think it's the desire that actually God has given us to, to pursue this. It's not a bad thing. We just don't know where to find it. Today, I want to say, as we look at uh, this passage that Jacob just read for us from John uh, 13... Uh, we'll see what Jesus says about being a true follower of Jesus. And I want to say, in this passage this morning, we'll also see that Jesus shows us where to have this blessed life, how to get it, how to pursue it, where to find it. And we'll see that it's actually found in truly being a follower of Him. It's truly found in being a follower of Him. And it's actually the opposite of where we think we would find that. But I want to show you this as we jump into John 13 today. Uh, we're going to look at this, and I'm going to look at uh, three sort of points as we go through to sort of navigate this passage. I want to spend most of our time in this famous event, Jesus washing the feet. This is a famous story from Jesus. I want to spend most of our time looking at this and, uh, and, 
and I want to navigate three movements for you. They're going to be on the screen behind me. And they are be served, trust his service, and serve others. Be, uh, be served, trust his service, and serve others. Now we come to uh, the book of uh, John, John 13. And where we are in this book, and where we are in this movement of Jesus' story is, this is the last night he's going to spend with his followers. And so he's no longer spending time with people in public. He's now sort of shrunk it down to his final 12. And he's in just uh, in a room with them. And he's talking to them about and preparing them to leave and what it means to be a follower of him. And he knows it's his last night with them. And he says that his soul is troubled. And so these last words are really key and really important before he heads to the cross. So let's have a look at this. Be washed. I'm going to read to you sentences 1 to 5. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own, who in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Here Jesus really wants to emphasize and John wants to emphasize Jesus' love for his disciples, for his people. Sentence 1, it says, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them till the end. Jesus, knowing perfectly well that these 12, in a, few, a very short few hours, would betray him, would run away, would abandon him, forsake him. Jesus continued to love them, even to the end it says. He was not tired of them, but he continued to love them. And everything else we see in chapter 13 is a flow out of this idea of his love for them. We also read here, John reminding us really starkly of who Jesus is. Sentence 1, Jesus knew his hour had come. Jesus knows what's going to happen. Sentence 3, Jesus knew the Father had given him all things into his hands. Not just some or a few. John's saying that all things the Father has placed into Jesus' hand. They are under his control. So as you see going on in Jesus, this story, Jesus is the one orchestrating all the events. He's the one pulling the strings as it leads up to his death on the cross. He's not an innocent bystander. He's the one orchestrating all this. He's orchestrating all things because God has put all things in his hand. So John Mike wants to make it really clear for us that Jesus here is still the king. Jesus is the king of all, the ruler, the sovereign one. There is no one greater or, more or higher than he. And therefore, by ordinary standards of the world, he should be served. Rightfully, as the king. Kings are served by servants, by slaves. That's who they are. John's saying this is the king who should be served. But that's not what happens, is it? Jesus contradicts the ordinary standards of the world. And what does he do? He serves instead. He turns it upside down. And he serves from his high standing, his majesty, he lowers himself and he serves his disciples. Sentence 5, Jesus pours out water in a basin and what does he do? He washes the disciples' feet. Now in this culture, it was good hospitality. If you went to someone's house, they'd get a bowl of water and they would get a slave to come and wash your feet for you. And this job was, was given only to the lowest of low slaves. The lowest slave would do this job. This job was demeaning, it was dirty, it was filthy. 
There were the, back then, there were only open, uh, open uh, shoes, so no, the sandals, and so dusty roads, animal feces everywhere. They would walk in it, and so their feet were filthy. And so the job of washing someone's feet was disgusting. Feet are filthy anyway. I, feet are disgusting anyway, smelly, right? Walking in poo and dirt, even worse. And the job of someone to wash their feet was the lowest of low slaves. Horrible task. And we need to really get how horrible this task is and how low this task is. Because this is what Jesus does for his disciples. None of the, none of the disciples put their hand up and said, yeah, I'll take the hit, I'll, I'll, I'll wash one's feet tonight. No one does that. So Jesus gets on his hands and his knees and he washes the feet of the disciples. Now remember who Jesus is. John just told us he's the king of the world. He's the one who has all things in his hand. He's the Lord. And what does he do? He humbles himself, he goes low and washes the feet of his disciples. The very ones in who a few hours will betray him. I don't know if you've stopped and thought about this. He even washes Judas' feet. The one who betrays him. He washes Judas' feet. He knows what Judas is going to do very soon, and yet he still serves him and loves him. So Jesus is there washing the feet of the disciples, and I'm guessing the, 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 the environment there and uh, the vibe is very quiet and awkward. The disciples not sure what to do with this. Embarrassed, maybe. Feeling uncomfortable as their Lord and King has lowered himself and serving them. And so, as could always be counted on, the guy who speaks up all the time, Peter, speaks up. Said in 6 to 10, he came to Simon Peter, so it was Peter's turn to get his feet washed by Jesus. He's seen it all happen. Peter's probably biting his tongue. It comes to his turn. Said at 6, Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I'm doing, you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, if I don't wash your feet, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, do not wash my feet only, but wash my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to be washed except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. Now, Peter often says dumb things in the Bible, but here you can sort of understand what he's getting at. He says, Lord, you know, you can't wash my feet. This is a task for a low slave. That is not you, Jesus. You're my king. You can't do this. And Jesus says, you don't get what I'm, what I'm doing, but later on you will. And Peter still resolute says, no way. Not going to happen, Jesus. You will not wash my feet. To which Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, you have no share with me. And Jesus escalates the whole thing to a whole new level. If Peter doesn't let Jesus wash his feet, Peter cannot have anything to do with Jesus going forward. So clearly there's, there's, there's more going on than simply washing off dirt and, and animal feces here. There's something more going on than meets the eye. This season, um, for me, has been uh, a good season of a fruit from my tree. Um, as most of you know, I get sick of hearing. I'm a farmer, a jackfruit farmer. And um, around the months of March and April, my fruits ripen, and I cut them and I sell them. This year, I've had 40 jackfruits that I've cut and sold, each weighing around 15 to 20 kilos. So it's probably about this big, each of them. It's been a bumper crop. Yeah, thank you very much. I, I'm pretty proud of that. Uh, it's, been a, it's been a busy season in the life of a jackfruit farmer. Um, yeah, the only way, the only way to tell if a jackfruit is ready 
or ripe is you have to smell it and, hit and, and touch it and, and, and tap it. Uh, when, it's, when it's ripe, it sounds hollow and it smells quite fruity, but this tree is 15 to 20 metres high, and, so, and they often uh, fruit at the top of the tree, so I've got to climb the tree every day and uh, see if they are ready. If they, if they get overripe, they fall to the ground and it may kill someone if they're that heavy. So I've got to make sure that they, uh, they don't fall down. And so for me, during the months of really March and April and a bit into May, I climb this tree every day. Every day I climb this tree, once a day at least, if not twice. There's a lot of climbing up and down of this tree. And, uh, and uh, now Jet's now trying to learn how to do it. I'm just passing my ways on to my son, the next generation really, to teach him the way. Now the tree's in my front yard, and so often uh, people walk past and just look at me like, what are you doing? Like a grown man, 90 kilos, 6 foot 3, climbing this tree like a little child every day, clambering up this tree. And it looks quite odd. If you walk past at the right time every day, you'd see me doing it every day. That guy's weird. Like, why is he climbing this tree every single day? One of our neighbours, who uh, is the same age as my son, Jet, I think he's nine years old or so, who lives there at our back fence, came over the other day, and he saw me climbing this tree, and he said that I could hear him off the top, and I could hear him say to Jet, Jet, why does your dad love climbing trees so much? Like, that's just weird. Like, what's he doing all the time up there? Clearly, there's more to going on than me just being a child and climbing a tree. I'm, I'm a jackfruit farmer. That's what I do, right? Here, here with, with Jesus and washing his feet, there's more going on than meets the eye. It's not simply about having clean feet for his disciples. There's more going on. And what's going on is, it's an, it's, what, what's happening here is it's an acted, acted parable of what Jesus will do and did do on the cross. As Jesus says to Peter, you don't understand what I'm doing now, but you will in the future. You will after I die and rise again. And if you don't let me wash your feet, you have no part with me. If I don't wash you, you aren't clean. Jesus is not talking about dirty feet. He's talking about being washed of sin and guilt removed and shame, being taken away, being forgiven, made clean, made righteous, having a share with him forever and eternity. It's an acted parable here. And here we see Jesus showing us who he is. He is the humble servant king who died on a cross to wash us clean. In an ultimate act of humility, he serves us and dies on a cross to give us life and make us right with our creator. And he loved us so much, he came into, the, into our world, took on our human nature and bore our sins on the cross. And this is a love that nothing compares to. And here in John 13, we get a glimpse. We get a glimpse of what happened on the cross and the service that took place here on the cross. The service and humility of a true servant king. And we learn here that to be a true follower of Jesus, you need to be washed, you need to be served by Jesus. The only way to be a follower of Jesus is to be served by Jesus. He says, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. No one can be saved, no one can know God unless their sins are washed away in the precious blood of Christ. Nothing else, no one else can make us clean or acceptable before God. We must be washed, sanctified, justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and in His name alone. We must come to Him and allow Him to wash us, to clean us, to serve us. We as followers must be served. But secondly, on from that, we must trust his service. I want to take you back to this interaction that Peter and Jesus had. 
Because Jesus said something really quite disturbing there. We didn't really touch on which I want to get to now. Have a look again. Send it 6 to 11. Uh, he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, uh, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered, what I'm going to do, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, if, you, if I do not wash your feet, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, do not wash do not, uh, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash, except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he, knew what was going, for he knew who was going to betray him, and that's why he said not all of you were clean. Sentence 8, uh, Peter's saying, No, Lord, uh, don't humiliate yourself like this. Jesus says, Unless I do this, you, can't, you, you don't know me. Peter says, Okay, then, how about every part of me? Not just my feet, wash every part of me. If that's what I need, I want the whole thing. Then have a look again at sentence 10. I want to focus in here. Look at this. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed, does not need to wash except for his feet, but it's completely clean. Are you clean? But not every one of you. And you are clean, but not every one of you. What does Jesus mean here? What's he saying? Well, I want to show you two really important things. Two important things from what Jesus is saying here, just from this sentence. Firstly, I want to focus on the first half of the sentence. The one, he says, the one who has been bathed or one who has been cleaned or washed is, is, is actually clean. They don't need to be washed anymore. I want to say this, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus, and you believe and trust in Jesus' work for you on the cross, knowing it's only through his work that you are saved, that you are made right, then you are once and for all, for all forgiven, you are made right with God. That, that is who you are. That is who you are. Jesus' death is a once for all cleansing. 1 Peter 3.18 says, Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. It's a once for all cleansing. Jesus' death is a once-for-all cleansing. If you're a follower of Jesus, you follow him, then you are forgiven now and forever. That is who you are. And I want to say this is, this is so important because it affects so many parts of our life. Firstly, it affects our eternal standing with God, but also it affects how we live day to day and how we view ourselves in this world. See, I think for many of us, right, I think for many of us that we, we see ourselves and can judge ourselves and feel guilty in, in who we are because of things we've done in the past or how we live now. Past mistakes, past failures, we carry, we carry baggage of past decisions with us. I want to say that Jesus has dealt with all of this on the cross. For some of us, we still hold on to guilt and shame of sins we have done. We fall in the trap of defining ourselves by those things. But Jesus says, do not define yourself by past failures. Do not look at the lens of failure or, or being falling short or not living up to your expectations. Jesus is saying, no, I've died for all of that. I've cleansed you. I've made you new. I've made you whole. I've made you clean. I've served you. You are not defined by those things. And he's calling you today, if this is you, to let go of that shame, to let go of that guilt. Trust him when he says you are clean. He's already paid for it on the cross and he has made you new. The Bible says you're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. You are righteous and your new identity, who you are, is a child of God who is loved forever. That is, that is who you are. Things you do or don't do don't define you. Things you're going to do in the future don't define you. What Jesus has done on the cross defines you. 
And so many of us live in this, this cycle of, of, of trying to make ourselves something when Jesus says, oh, I've already given to you. We need to believe that. We need to trust in his service. That's who we are as followers of Jesus. And I want to call us today to, to experience the freedom of being served by God, of being cleansed by the full and finished work of Jesus on the cross, trusting him that he has borne our guilt and our shame and taken it away and made us new and made us whole. And we can live in that freedom, free as children of God, free as loved children of God, not trying to prove ourselves or build our lives on anything else rather than the full and finished work of Jesus. That's who we are. We need to trust that. That's what Jesus is saying here to Peter. Peter doesn't need to be cleaned again. He's cleaned once and for all. He's been cleaned. So have the 11 disciples. They've believed in Jesus. They have eternal life. They've gone from death to life. They are sons of light. That's who they are. And Jesus says that no one can pluck them out of his hand as the good shepherd. They will not be lost. Peter is completely clean. If that's the case, I want to show you something else. Look at the screen. If this is the case, then what does the second half of the sentence mean where Jesus says, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except his feet? But he's completely clean. What does this except his feet mean? What, what, what does that mean? What is Jesus saying here to Peter? I got married um, almost 12 years ago to Katie, uh, 2006, down the road, just at St. Mary's in Balmain. She, she's been my wife for the last 12 years, and she got herself a husband and with a great last name like Mork. Mork rhymes with a lot of things like, you know, pork, fork, dork, you know, at school. Man, wow, the kids had a field day with that, didn't they? Um, I know my parents used to get calls when the show Mork and Mindy was on TV. They get phone calls all the time, prank calls about Mork and Mindy. Is Mindy there? Anyway, horrible last name. <laughs> Katie now has that as my wife. Well done, Katie. Uh, but we are married, and we've been married for 12 years. Uh, before God, on that day, our wedding day, we made promises to God to love and to serve and to cherish one another until death do us part. It, was, it is a lifelong covenant that we entered into on that day, those promises. That was our promise. Now, every day since that day, we live out those promises. Every day we continue to be married, to love one another, be faithful to one another, faithful to those promises we made 12 years ago. And every day, I make a choice to keep relating to her as her husband. And keep on loving her and working at our marriage because that's how our mar marriages work and that's how relationships work. We stumble and we fall and we hurt each other, but we're still married. We don't go and get remarried again and again and again. We are married. That is who we are. And we keep working at that and we live in light of that fact that we are married. I think it's a similar thing to what Jesus is saying here about except his feet part. Jesus says, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. As I said, when someone believes in Jesus, they are completely clean before God. But then he says, um, the one who is bathed doesn't need to be washed except for his feet. But, he's completely clean, but, but they are completely clean. I want to say this. I think what he's saying here is that the repeated washing of the feet represents our daily confession of sin and turning to Jesus for ongoing application of what he accomplished at the cross, of our cleansing and forgiveness. It's a living out of being forgiven and cleansed at the cross. I want to show you why I think this. Have a look at 1 John 8 and 9. So John, the writer of the Gospel of John, writes his epistles, the book of John, 1 John. It says this, 
If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to give us our, forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There is this once and for all purchase of forgiveness that needs daily application. We have a real and living relationship with Jesus, and we all sin, even though we're forgiven. But the Bible calls, Jesus calls to repent of sins that plague us and ask for help and come and confess our sin and, and change the way we view ourselves and the way we view, view sin in this world. We need to come before him again and again. James, the book of James calls us to confess our sins to one another and ask for help. We need to fight sin that entangles us. We need to repent daily and confess, knowing that we are forgiven, but also knowing that we're in a relationship with Jesus that we need to keep coming to him and asking and repenting of sin that affects us. I want to say the mark of a, com- of a completely clean, true follower of Jesus is that they hate their daily shortcomings and they come to Jesus daily for cleansing or foot washing. If you confess your sin, it says he's faithful and just and will forgive and cleanse you. True followers of Jesus know their true unshakable standing with God is completely clean, but they don't claim to be without sin. They know they have to deal with their ongoing sin and confess it and receive daily cleansing. I just want to say, if, if you're a follower of Jesus here, is repentance a habit in your life, in your prayer life? When you pray to the Lord each day, is, is confession a part of that? He, he calls us to do this, to come and, and live out this daily application of the cross, where you come and confess your sin to Jesus. That's what we have as followers of Jesus. We can approach Him with confidence, knowing we're forgiven. But it's an ongoing relationship where we can come and confess and repent of sin, ask for His help. I think this is what Jesus is saying here. Coming and allowing Him to wash our feet again and again, knowing that we are saved. We need to trust His service. We've seen that followers of Jesus are to be served by the King, the servant King. Followers of Jesus trust his service, trusting the finished work of the cross to make them clean, and then apply his forgiveness through repenting of sin. Thirdly and finally, I want to show you that followers of Jesus serve just like we have been served. Have a look at sentences 12 to 17. When he had washed their feet and put on the outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If, if I then... Your Lord and teacher have washed your feet. You ought to also do the same for what to, uh, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example, and you should also do just as I've done for you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. We read here that followers of Jesus are called Jesus Lord and teacher. And if he's your Lord and teacher, just like him, we too are to serve one another as our Lord and teacher has done, as we follow him. Sentence 15, he has given us the example. Then we too, his followers, are to follow his example if we truly follow him. Which is the same point in sentence 16. No servant is greater than his master. If Jesus, our master, has done it, then we too are to serve like him. Jesus says again and again and again. He's setting the standard of what a follower is to do and to look like. If the king of all humbled himself to serve us, then we too, his followers, are to humble ourselves and serve like he did, following our master. 
And here we read exactly of what a, a follower of Jesus looks like. Someone who humbles themselves. Someone who serves. Someone who looks to the good of others. And Jesus here really sets the benchmark quite high, doesn't he? He loves and he serves and he humbles himself. Humbles himself to the point of death. And Jesus says, okay, here it is. Now go and do the same. This is what he calls followers to do. We learn here of Jesus pursuing humility. He pursues humility. We're called to pursue humility. He pursues love for others. We're to pursue love for others. And that's the motivation behind what he is doing. Out of his great love, we're told, he lays down his life for us. So following example of Jesus means to be humble and to love others at the cost of ourselves. The writer J.C. Ryle, reflecting on these verses, says this, Our Lord would have, it, would have us love others so much that we should delight to do anything we can, which we can promote their happiness. We ought to rejoice in doing kindness, even little things. We ought to count it a pleasure to lessen sorrow and multiply joy, even when it comes, it comes at a cost uh, uh, to us of some self-sacrifice and self-denial. We ought to love every child of Adam so well that if in the least trifle we can do anything to make him more happy and comfortable, we should be glad to do it. This was the mind of the Master and this the ruling principle of his conduct upon earth. He who in these matters cannot stoop to follow Christ's example gives little evidence of possessing true love and of true humility. This is the call that, that, that Jesus calls us to do, to be. Later on in, in chapter 13, towards the end, as he's still speaking to his disciples, Jesus uh, says this, sentence uh, 34 and 35, and you come on and I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You're also to love one another. And by this love, people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus, again, is building on what he's calling his followers to be. And he set the standard again of saying, as I have loved you, gave my life for you, you now have to go and to love others just the same. That's the benchmark. And he says there, if you do this, if you love others like I have loved you, people will see then my love in action. And here we really see the missional evangelistic power of love. Through a loving community, people can come and see and experience Jesus. That's what I love about church, right? As we love one another here, people can come into our building and actually experience Jesus and his love. Yeah, that's amazing. Our love should point to him and echo his love for us, which led him to the cross. That's the benchmark. That's the standard of Christian community now. That's the norm, Jesus says. Our love for one another is to be defined by the cross. And the cross is both the way of salvation, but it's also the key to Christian community. Humility, love, service, and I think in a world that is desperately longing to be part of a community or another secret of community, Jesus in the cross speaks most powerfully. There's those who have been humbled at the cross and come to Jesus as helpless sinners seeking cleansing to those who are the raw material of a community of humble servants. It is love of that caliber which true followers of Jesus are called to follow and to express to others. You know, at the very beginning of this, I was talking about being the blessed life. What does a blessed life look like? Jesus says it here. Sentence 17 of chapter 13, he says, If you know these things, if you know me, if you know service, if you know humility, if you know love, he says, blessed are you if you do them. Jesus is saying here in this passage, if you understand 
who he is. And if you follow him, the example of humility and service, you, you, will, you will live a life of, uh, that is meaningful, that is satisfying, that is glad, that is happy, that is joyful. You'll be like your king. Because that's what you're made to be. That's who you're, made to, you're made to be like him. I want to say this. Jesus is the most joyful person in the universe. When we follow him, we too will pursue the, the blessed life. You weren't made to only seek your own interests. Jesus has done that already for you. You were made then to love and to serve others and be joyful like King Jesus. And I want to say that is the blessed life. You'll find the deepest joys in life are not when people are hailing you in your status, but when they are helped by you in your service. The blessed life is following Jesus and being like him, loving and serving others, just like he has done for us. So I just want to finish with this. How are we going at this as a church? At loving one another, humbling ourselves, seeking to do good to others, even when it's a cost to ourselves. Let's get all personal. Let's go down a level. It's easy to say, well, no one loves me, so why should I love anyone else? But that's not what Jesus is saying here, is he? He's calling his followers to follow his example to love and to serve in light of what he has done for us. So the question is, how do you go at loving and serving others? even when it's hard, even when you find them annoying, even when you don't like people, even when they're different from you. How do you go at that? Jesus is saying to you, I, I put these people in your life to love and to serve. I loved them enough and I thought they were good enough to lay my life down for them. Are you going to love them? I want to say, go, go out of your way to show kindness to people. That you care for them, that you seek their good, that you think the best of them. Love those who are different to you. Seek to talk to someone and ask them genuinely how they're going. Talk to them and be genuinely interested in them. Ask them how they are. Make a meal for someone. Pray for someone. Let them know that, that you've prayed for them. Spend time with people. We often busy our lives up and we think we've got no time for anyone. Cut out some time for someone. Here's a simple one. It's going to be weird. But say hi to people. Say hi to someone and ask them how they're doing. Often we walk in here on a Sunday and we're busy in our own world. We don't say hi to each other or talk to each other. We just talk to people we know. We're to be the mark of a genuine Christian community, of a, of a community shaped by the love of Christ. Talk to each other. Say hi. Ask them how they're doing. Make someone feel loved by just asking them how they're going. So many of us come into this building, and I know who have social anxiety, find it so hard to walk through those doors. If you just say hi to them, they're going to feel loved by that. Make him feel comfortable. Talk to people. I want to say, make time for church. Go to the park or the pub afterwards. You can't love and serve people. You don't see them. Turning up is a way of loving. You're saying to people, I prioritize you and our relationships in Jesus to be here this morning. Jesus says, true followers love, serve, and humble themselves just like me. I want to say, let's be a church that truly follow Him and have a community that is marked by that. Let me pray. Father, I want to pray for us right now that You'd be both comforting us and challenging us. 
that we would see you, Jesus, as the one who has done everything for us. And we, we cannot and will not do anything to, to change our standing with you. That it's all by your grace and your mercy and your love. And we want to be overcome by that love. And understand what it costs you to serve us, to cleanse us, to make us right with you. And then out of that love, out of that overflow, we want to pray that we would can't, can't but help love and serve other people. Father, for those of us who are feeling challenged, we want to pray that we would not leave here just feeling challenged or annoyed and just walk out. Lord, we want to pray that your spirit would continue to convict us, that we would change our actions, that we would change our heart, that we would come to you and ask for more of your love, to experience that so we can love one another. Lord, help us to be a community of people who are genuinely your followers, who love one another so much that anyone who walks through our doors can see and experience you and your love for us. For those of us, Lord, who are here this morning and are struggling in life, who are finding things hard, Lord, remind us of your goodness to us, of your cross, of your love, that we, have, we are washed clean once and for all. And give us a peace in that and help us to live out of that freedom. Thank you for this morning and thank you for you, Jesus. Amen. I'm going to give you time to reflect as we do every week. Trying to pray. You might want to write things down, whatever it is. Give you a few minutes now to reflect and then we'll sing.